Welcome to the Monsters and Treasure Podcast, where we talk way too long about a subject, but only give you the best parts. I'm K.R. King of D&D Homebrew, here as always with Daniel Norton of Bandit's Keep. How are we doing today, Daniel? Hey there, K.R. I'm uh, just over here looking at my stack of books. Maybe one of them is that I need them. So, K.R., I was thinking about all these uh, Kickstarters and, and uh, looking at my shelf over here and all these new games I keep buying. <laughs> you know, and I th- I'm thinking to myself, why is it that we're often drawn to just the new stuff, right? And and, and what, what about these games, these Kickstarters that have like blown up, right? Like why are people just constantly wanting that change or, or why do they think the newest thing is the best thing? That's an interesting question because as someone who has all sorts of older systems that I played, I just, I look back, I was thinking about doing a video on Dragon Quest, the old SPI system. And then I read through it and I said, ah, it's kind of dated. It's too, it's too complicated. It's too war gamey. It's too something that didn't go in the right direction. So maybe it isn't just, oh, it's the latest shiny object. I think that's always part of it. But also the fact that, oh, is this going to reflect the sort of modern sensibility where it takes different things from all these systems and creates the best version? So it's OSR, but it reflects the D20, you know, uh, uh, ascending armor class and that sort of stuff or whatever it is. Therefore, it must be better. I don't know. That might be one reason for that. Right. Well, I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, right? We look at these systems as people develop them. And as they develop, they add things to them. They change things. And if you're creating something from scratch, let's say a lot of these, we'll call them OSR, OSR adjacent games, something like Shadow Dark or uh, just did a a review on 5B or even things like Index Card RPG, right? These games are basically looking at all the innovation, we'll call it, or all the new things that have come out that, and they're going, you know what? I like how D&D does this. But I like how this game does this. And I like how this game over here does this. They're kind of compressing it together to create what, at least in their mind, is like the perfect set of house rules, right? If you want to look at it that way. Like everything that you're making, like Shadow Dark, let's say, for instance, although I haven't played it, I did look at the quick start, uh, is basically just a bunch of other rules put together. I don't, there's a couple things that I think might be somewhat unique, but I think most of that game is just, oh yeah, that's from Index Card RPG. That's from 5e. That's from whatever. And that's not a bad thing necessarily, but it's like, you're taking all these rules and sticking them together, making it maybe easy for a new player who doesn't know all these other systems. Right. I mean, what is the philosophy behind the new system that, or what is it about the new system that makes it the new shiny object? Is it the philosophy behind it? Is it the unique combination of rules from other systems? Is it just that it's hyped for whatever reason, or it's got, mm-hmm. it's got influencers and all this kind of stuff behind it. Um, and all those questions become part of like when you actually get the system and look at it. And of course, when you read a set of rules, if you're experienced, you can sort of go, well, I like this, that, oh, they got this from there. But how does it play? And of course, how it plays is dependent on who runs it and who's playing, right? That's a big factor. And, uh, you know, there, the, the thing is, if you if you play some game with everybody that, let's say, let's say the, the Shadow Dark system and you decide, me and my, my players love this. We all got together. We start running it and we're all totally into it, right? But what if you start playing it and you realize, you know, I don't like the way this is or that is. Do you just change it? Do you do you say, well, we won't use that rule or this rule? I mean, what happens with the shiny object when you actually play it and you go, hmm, I kind of like what we were doing before. Is that a good thing? Maybe it is. You realize, you know, this system I had before was actually not that bad, right? So, but you got to play it to know that. I think, I just don't think you can just read the rules and really tell. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I mean, I have so many rule sets that would fall under, I think, what you would call OSR that are basically uh, versions of a BXD&D or OD&D. And so many of them, I got to the table and exactly that. I'd be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, this two things they added to this rule set 
are interesting, but do I need to play a whole separate game to get that? Like, it's mostly what I'm already doing. And if you do take a game that's got a lot of changes and then you remove those changes, so just because we're talking about it, we'll stick with Shadow Dark, like the most uh, interesting, we'll say, or uh, I'll say controversial because I don't I, I don't think I like it, but I haven't played it, uh, thing is the real-time thing. So I've, you know, on my uh, video I made, I mentioned that, you know, I don't think that that would work for me. I don't, whatever. Some people are like, yes, played it half a dozen times, loved it at first, hate it now, just whatever. Other people are like, no, it's the best thing in the world because you're in the middle of combat. My torch keeps going out. Everybody says that same thing, which makes me think that that didn't actually happen to them and they're repeating. I, you know how that happens, right? But it's like, mm -hmm. I don't understand how it makes people pay more attention to something, but yet everybody's torches are constantly going out because if it's going out, they're not paying attention to it. But anyways, my point being is that that's a manic mechanic that I don't get. At the same time, and I said in that video, I'm going to play in this game. My friend Rush is going to run some Shadow Dark for us. I'm going to be a player. I want to see how it plays out. Maybe it's cool. Maybe I'll play it and be like, this is amazing. I love this, but I don't think so. And that comes from me playing, I don't know, dozens without exaggerating, probably close to a hundred different systems. I can usually look at something, but I think you're right. I can never really know until I play it. And think about coming from the GM standpoint to the player standpoint. We've, we had a podcast. We're going to, I think it's coming up here about two different game systems, right? When you're, if I'm running Shadow Dark, it's going to be different than if I'm playing it. And right. if I'm running it, like the tor the torch thing sputtering out, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm keeping track of those or they are, but uh, if it, the spells and this kind of thing, I'm not, I'm tracking some other things as a GM, whereas the players, as they're looking at the spells or their abilities, go, huh. Um, my character is the classic example of a system or a character class that doesn't work. I do the same thing over and over. And I don't have any options. And I just find myself in every situation doing the same things because those make the most sense. And I try to add some flavor and do some different things. And it just seems stupid. Like, why would my character do whatever? I try to negotiate. I try to make a, a phantasmal thing. And the GM, the way the rules are, doesn't really do anything, right? But as a GM, you're busy working about other things. And this is, again, what you have to see when you play the game and when you GM the game. And is it going to be that shiny object? I always feel like, because I'm old, and there's nothing new under the sun. You know, it all comes down to shared. We're going to have fun with this or not. Uh, you know, so, but but maybe not. Maybe there is somewhere out there, there is the shiny new object that truly is the revolutionary. You know, maybe someone out there took the original box set and mixed it with chain mail and created something that's going to blow everybody away. We don't know. But I am always like wondering if that's really the case or it's just a, maybe a little bit of hype. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And what I think is the gem that we'll end up finding, if we do find it, it will be buried in, in something. I don't think to me anyways, having played so many different systems that I will ever find a system that I think is the perfect system. Unless that system is completely stripped back and basically says, here's a core rule, not a core rule because I hate core rules, but here's the basics of the rules. And <laughs> I'm not a core rule person, but here's the basics of the rule system build on it. Because to me, that is the ultimate, right? If something gives me lots of rules, I am constantly taking them away because I know how my players like to play. I know how I like to play. So I think something like uh, Shadow Dark, let's say again, is that seems to be a bunch of other rule systems smashed together. This is also true, I've heard, and I haven't seen that system yet of the new critical role system. It's based on a handful of other systems. If you're jamming a bunch of systems together, maybe they will find that perfect thing that makes sense, right? Maybe it's like, oh, I like the index card RPG rule that like everything in the room 
takes up the same role or has the same DC. I don't like that. Uh, or I might like that there's no stats and you just have number bonuses because who cares about the numbers? I do, right? So to me, those things aren't good, but maybe real-time casting or maybe spontaneous casting or however they do casting, because I think it's a role-to-cast system. I'd be curious that. I have yet to see a role-to-cast system that I think really works well, except for DCC. And I didn't play enough DCC. Uh, I liked the fact that it was... They had this kind of crazy, you know, spell failure. You know, the spells had certain, you know, tremendous success or tremendous failure. It was always risky, but you could throw that. For my thing about DCC was I couldn't quite figure out how I was going to make it into a campaign. I'm always thinking in terms of a GM, how am I going to make this into a campaign? But I think if I'd become familiar enough with the rules, I might have done that. As I said, I I played in a campaign. The the campaign I was playing in online fell apart. Uh, Nobody could ever. I was the only guy there on Sunday with the GM. Over and over, it was a Sunday campaign. So we've, it finally fell apart. And this happens a lot online, right? The other thing yes. is finding the players, right? Because you've got a core group that says, hey, let's try this, let's try that, let's try this. A lot of people don't have that, right? A lot of people. I have a group right now, we're playing 5e, and there's a couple of players that keep bugging and saying, could we try Pathfinder? When this comes to an end, can we do Pathfinder? And I have two other players that are like, I don't want to learn Pathfinder. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. we're just going to keep doing this. They're all having a fun time. They show up every week, seven months. They're always there. Mm-hmm. Everyone's having a great time. So I want to say these guys, I'm, I'm always like, oh, yeah, I play a path because I'm playing in some. But I'm like, they don't want to they don't want to go to another system. This is what they know. And you got to respect that. I don't want to have to buy books and learn this and that because they don't want to just come in and sit down and be the person that doesn't know the rules all the time. They do right. want to learn it. And now maybe the shadow dark is easy enough that people can just sit down and they don't need to learn the rules as we've done on a podcast. You have players that aren't going to learn the rules, right? Right. So maybe you'll find that out when you run it. Hey, I can, this, this is great for just people that have no experience with role-playing games. Don't, don't want to learn them. And maybe that's the shiny, the bright, shiny object that, that, that works because anybody can play it. Yeah. And I think what's interesting too, about what you're talking about, the 5e Pathfinder thing is that I wonder if those players, if you were like, oh, there's a new, you know, KR's Guide to the Universe or whatever the new 5e book that comes out, it has a bunch of new classes in it. Would they be willing to read that to see if their classes can get better? You know, I wonder, like, again, maybe that's the new shiny for the person that doesn't want to jump systems. Well, again, they're always the bloat of these systems. as yeah. they And the part of the bloat is people wanting to do stuff. But a big part of the right. bloat is Asbro wants to make money, right? Well, and right, so, yeah. uh, and if the Shadow Dark system continues, uh, she's going to have, I'm sure, modules. And she mm-hmm. might expand. I mean, you we, uh the original um, Old School Essentials, right? They came out with a whole new version of Old School Essentials because yes. <clears throat> trying to make some money, right? Trying to do this. And then suddenly the players are like, this is a system where Traveler came out with, with the Mongoose, tra- all these different systems yeah. because they're trying to make money. And then people say, I want to be a space pirate uh, and Tulian. And you're like, what's that? Oh, that's in the latest supplement of Traveler. And you're like, <laughs> okay, well, I got to look at that. The other thing about this, as an aside, too, with those supplements is people think, oh, they must have play tested the hell out of this and it's all balanced. Right. I wonder sometimes, right? Because you do get these broken classes that are introduced where, sure. or classes that are useless. That's probably more often. When, when I say useless, I just mean if you're in a game where they have all this ability boosts and this boost and that boost, and you have some flavor character that doesn't get those, that person has to be very creative and the GM has to be very willing to give them stuff to do. Otherwise they find themselves retreating into the background. Right. What I think too, like to me, if I was going to put a, a label on useless and that in the sense you're talking about, I'd be like, 
it, it's that to do something that something else doesn't do, right? Like, so if you make some, uh, oh, specialized class, it's basically a druid, except they're, you know, taller and wear sandals. It's like, well, okay, do I need that? You know, I mean, is that a, is that a class that makes sense? It's, it's like, so I'm playing OD and D, as you know, and I'm constantly thinking, should I add any classes? But I every class I think of, I'm like, there's our, a cleric, a fighter, and magic user already do that. Do I need a sorcerer? A sorcerer is just a magic user that just casts differently. Like, it's really flavor in my mind. Now, in 5e, that's not true because it's, I don't know, I guess it is true, but <laughs> they have their own spell list. No, because they don't different. have to memorize. They, you know, there are differences. They have a smaller right. spell list, but then they don't. They have the power thing. They have a bloodline, you know, but again, right. there's still it's a basically, spell list. Um, like right. the they don't have a unique list either. That's the other thing is that, I mean, there are some spells I think that are only on one list in 5e, but most of, well, the vast majority of spells are on multiple lists. So what ends up happening is, and because multiclassing is so easy, you don't get like a unique thing. It's not like, oh, well, you know, you got to play a you know, moon druid in order to be able to cast moonshine. No, you can play that. You can get that spell if you're a bard too, or you could also get it if you're, you know, a something, something sorcerer. So I think making a class that's uh, interesting and unique is difficult. So, uh, you know, whereas I guess so is building a whole system, right? So when you get these OSR systems, like some I've played, they're supposed to be like dark and gritty and they basically just add some flavor on top of OD&D. And you're just like, well, if it's dark and gritty, why... Do clerics still have heal spells every level? And why is, if it's low magic, why is there still fireballs? It's like, you know, is it really a change or is it just flavor? So think of a system like the Maze of the Blue Medusa where it it was a very big thing, right? When it came out, people were talking about it, whatever. And all I did was read it and thought, to me, KR here, I'm, I thought, how do you play this? How do you, how do you exactly do this? How does it work in? It seems to be a lot of stuff that's just very squishy or something but the flavor i mean the art was really interesting and the flavor was kind of dark and really gritty and gruesome remember they had like dead babies or something i can't remember now is that being played out there is there a blue medusa groups out there everywhere online is there a discord channel for them or whatever i don't know maybe you know more or was it a flavor of the month well i think both things are true right i think there probably are some people that discover something that's pretty uh, different and weird and maybe had a big blow up and then kind of falls back. I can think of a lot of games like that. And I have them on my shelf where like the Kickstarters did really well. People were talking about them. A game that's actually a really good game that you hardly hear anything about is Coriolis. When Coriolis first came out, that was like a big push for Free League. It was one of the, I think my one of the first games and it was everywhere. Everybody's like, Coriolis, Coriolis, Coriolis. And oh, Simba Room would be another game like that. Everybody was talking about Simba Room. It's like, oh my God, this is going to change the way we play games. Who's playing Simba Room? It's still out there. Right. But I think that's what ends up happening. And we realize when we look at Simba Room that it's interesting, but it's mostly just a setting. You know, the rules aren't that different. And I think that is what ends up happening. We look at these new shinies and a lot of time they're just the setting. And if you don't want to play, if you're like me and you, <laughs> where we are a homebrewer, the setting isn't that important to me. I don't play Morkborg, even though it looks interesting because the mechanics are super basic and don't really do anything for me beyond what I already have. And it's just a cool setting. Does that stop me from having eight books on my shelf? No, <laughs> but I don't I haven't played it. <laughs> well, this is my thing with Hyperborea. I really love the flavor of that game, but I can tell it's very setting specific. And for me mm-hmm. to come up with a homebrewed system, I'm constantly going to be thinking, well, dude, just run the setting. Just run, the, you know, why not? But, yeah. and I know you ran a whole thing with the modules and, but, and part of me is just like, ah, oh, do I want to, my time is limited. I really like creating a world. 
So it's cool. I think with Hyperborea, what you could do, it's a little, I mean, you're right. I, I agree with you. If you want to build a whole world, obviously, like if you don't use the world, I don't think, I, I mean, it's a great system. Don't get me wrong. I like Hyperborea. I like the flavor of the classes and stuff, but I do think it fits suits the world. You can homebrew in it because like I did, like there's a part that's uh, the Valley of the Mists. And if people have read uh, A. Barrett's books, they kind of probably know where that comes from. But all it says is this is a mysterious valley that's in these areas, right? I mean, there's not a lot there. So I built an entire, I don't know, chunk of my campaign, like six months of play in that area, just because I knew the fiction and I had an idea of what I wanted to do there. So you could do that night, Borea. You don't necessarily have to run the modules, but yes, if you're just like, no, it's a round world and there's no other like things going on and it's not, uh, you know, 13 years and this and that, I don't think it would be as cool, honestly. Back to, I guess we should sum this up, which is that, mm -hmm. um, you know, these systems come out, they blow up, especially with the now Kickstarter and the, the internet and all these things. And I think people want to have some new thing that's the coolest ever that's going to revolutionize everything. but there's only a few musicians, bands, you know, uh, books, uh, political movements that revolutionize the world. The vast majority just come and go. And and maybe there's ones that were really great. Like you talked about Coriolis. You liked that system. And maybe there's ones out there that people can talk about that. I know the uh, the Rune Master crowd or there's other people that say, oh, this system is if you just get into it, it's so great. But for whatever reason, it didn't take off. Because people tend to go back to these core systems, I think, because they've got the marketing, they've got the, you know, the reach or whatever. And, you know, yeah. it, they just fade away. I think you're right. I think that the people do uh, go back to the core systems because of the marketing on some level. But I also think that a lot of times what you're looking for is not necessarily out there, but rather at your table. And that's where the homebrew comes in, right? If you're playing fifth edition, do you need another version of fifth edition that is uh, Beowulf or you know, some others in space, you probably could take the core rules as they are and just run them if you have a great group and you have the time and <laughs> inclination to do it. So I think people buy these systems, myself included, because we're hoping that like, oh, this will be the thing that'll do that thing for me. And what they usually end up being is, here's a couple of little lines I might use and I'm just going to build my own. And I just happened to read a thing about chivalry and the idea that chivalry existed. But in every epic where people talked about chivalry, it was in a past time. So even in the ages we associate with chivalry, they said, no, it was back in the time of, you know, King Arthur, which is like 580 or something like that, right? It, our time is corrupt and the knights are no good, but oh, in the past. And there's this idea that these systems of the past, now that's when men were men, you know, and right. women were glad of it or whatever. And that's when players were players. And we, you know, we didn't need all these fancy classes and all this stuff. And then you go back and you go, well, I mean, like you said, if you have a good table, it's fun, but... There is no mythical golden age. There is, they're just, they're just game systems. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear a voice on the show, give us a call. You can find all the ways to do that in the show notes. If you'd like to see more RPG content from us, you can find us both on YouTube, KR at D&D Homebrew and myself at Bandit's Keep. Those are also linked in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, please give us a rating, ideally on Apple Podcasts, as it helps the show be seen by more people. And we'll see you next week.